This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. It's film study. This is the third episode of the week, so this is the one where we look ahead to next Sunday. So we're going to look ahead week six as the Bengals come to town for the Ravens. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I mean, I wanted the Rays to win being a Florida guy now, but uh, I'm still doing well. As Astros probably have a better shot of knocking out the Yankees, so that's all I really care about. But what about the Nationals moving on? That's not a good thing. <laughs> That's a tricky one because I didn't like the Dodgers, so I rooted for the Nats. But oh. now, but now I could you imagine a Yankees Nationals World Series? That's like the worst thing I can envision. It's, it would be awful. Yep. Yeah. But all right, we're here to talk football. You can listen to Section Three Thirty Six if you want to talk baseball. Uh, joining us to look ahead at this Bengals game is Jake from Locked On Bengals. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on, Jake. This is uh, great uh, doing this show on short notice, and uh, Bengals uh, coming to town. They've certainly broken the Ravens' hearts before in the stadium just two years ago, You're as you're familiar. 
How did you guys look at that as a fan? Was there any part of you that said, boy, I'd like to have the higher draft pick when Boyd caught that long pass, or was it all just elation on your end? Well, there's absolutely a big part of me, the analytical fan, that's thinking, well, that's kind of nice, I guess, that they knocked the Ravens out of the playoffs, but also this team needs draft capital, and I also the lower they get, the less I trust them. And, and generally, I don't trust them in the draft lately, but you know, you have a higher success rate, the higher you pick. So yes, I absolutely had that thought when Tyler Boyd somehow outran the entire Baltimore defense to knock y'all out of the playoffs a couple of years ago. It was a, it was a very strange play. That's for sure. But uh, we've said, we talked a lot about it this show really want to kind of, you take us through the Bengals season so far. And I know it hasn't gone well and you talk about this fairly often, but kind of take us through the, uh, week by week, how it's gone and, and what you've seen out of this team. Yeah. So coming into the season, Joe and I had, Joe is my co-host on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We had an expectation of somewhere in the four to seven win range for the Bengals. And after week one, they played Seattle real tight. The defense looked competent. The offense, we chalked up to, you know, we, we knew the offensive line would have issues but they looked okay. We saw some of those elements of the Los Angeles Rams offense that were good. And we saw Seattle answer the Bengals running game, exactly how the Patriots did. And now every team in the NFL has defended the Bengals and the Rams. And that's that flat six man front or five man front along the offensive line with the linebacker free in the middle, just to take away those zone cutback lanes. But anyway, we thought Is that like a that, three three five nickel they've been using then? A three down lineman and still the nickel? The Bengals? No, no. I'm saying you're you're saying to beat the Bengals run game, have they been playing three down linemen and still a nickel? Or has it been like a three down linemen, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers? They're really just playing seven in the box. It'll depend on what the team's base defense is. So if they're four three, they've got their four defensive linemen. If they're keeping their base on the field with the two outside linebackers flat on the line of scrimmage, so it's six across with with the mic in the middle, kind yeah. of free. And and with that going on, it makes it really hard for well, it made it really hard for the Bengals at least to get to the second level. And I think if you watch the Rams this year too, you see a lot of the similar issues where a I mentioned the cutback lanes when you when you're flat across the line like that and you've got five offensive lineman and a tight end there you're you're having a harder time getting those double teams releasing to the second level and you're having a harder time even just getting hat on hat along that offensive line because it's flat so that's taking away lanes that the run could go if the point of attack the intended point of attack isn't there and also you'll see that that mike that middle linebacker who's free they're not getting to him at the second level so he's just free in the hole and it's one-on-one in a small space and that hasn't gone well for either the Rams or the Bengals but to get back to your original question about the season after that Seattle game we did have a little bit of hope we thought okay maybe they're closer to seven wins than four wins and then they get stomped by San Francisco at home and before the season we thought okay maybe they can beat San Francisco at home San Francisco obviously is one of the better teams in the league now but then that trend kind of continues they play Buffalo sort of tough but that game, the offense kind of looks out, out of sorts the whole time, and Buffalo doesn't have a great offense. And then we start to notice a trend of, okay, the Bengals cannot stop the run this year. And the reason they can't stop the run is because they can't contain horizontal movement. So they're not setting the edge well with their defensive ends, and 
Well, Carlos Dunlap is still pretty good at it, but Sam Hubbard on the other side has struggled. And then the linebackers are probably the worst linebacking unit I have ever seen in the <laughs> NFL. And so you've seen teams week after week, even the Bills with Frank Gore getting horizontal. Frank Gore was actually incredibly impressive to watch because he was able to get small through some tiny holes and maintain balance. But generally speaking, teams are getting horizontal, stretching the field laterally, and there's just tons of space out there. The Cardinals did it really well. The Steelers did it really well. The 49ers did it really well, too. Does it does it suit well for a power off-tackle game, or, or is it more of a, uh, I don't know, use tight ends, stretch, stretch, stretch to get to the outside? What's, what, what's the running style that you think is particularly effective against the Bengals? I think both. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think it really matters how you come at the Bengals right now because the issue that they're having is is if you manage to get decent seal-off blocks, you, you do a good job at the first level, contain the backside to some degree, use misdirection if you want to. For one, the linebackers are going to bite on misdirection. The linemen are going to bite on misdirection. They've had a hard time finding the ball on misdirection plays. You can use design cutbacks too. The Cardinals did this to a great degree of success picking on Sam Hubbard's side of the football in the first quarter last week where they're running design counters and you're getting the entire defense for the Bengals following the initial movement of the offensive line and then the cutback lane is wide open. So it's really a discipline issue. Mm -hmm. I don't think it really matters what your power, you know, if your power, if your speed. We saw Frank Gore do it up the middle with Buffalo and, and then we saw, you know, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, and Arizona all do it horizontally, laterally. I think that they're a little bit more stout up the middle because that's where, you know, you've got Geno Atkins, Andrew Billings, Ryan Glasgow, if he plays this week, all good run defenders. Uh, and, and like I mentioned earlier, uh, Carlos Dunlap, still a really good run defender, good at setting the edge. You're going to have a harder time fooling him. But you can pick on Sam Hubbard. And if you do manage to get, you know, you can run traps if you want, take a tackle out of the play. Bengals haven't handled that all that well. Uh, and and if you get your running back to the second level, you're good. You're going to get at least eight yards, right? Because those linebackers are essentially non-existent. Like, you get to the second level uh, on the sideline, well, you're, the linebackers aren't going to get to you until you're at least eight yards down the field because that's the foot speed issue. And if you're up the middle, well, Nick Vindle's probably washed out of the play the way that the season's gone so far, or he's being blocked out of the play. Maybe Preston Brown's trying to do too much or he's not in the right gap or he just doesn't have the foot speed to get there. So you're you're probably in pretty good shape if you can get to the second level at least. All right. So obviously not a not a tremendously positive outlook there on the on the Bengals run defense. Let's let's talk about the offense for a little bit. We'll come back to the defense in a in a bit, give you a breather. Offense still has a fair amount of star ability. And start with Andy Dalton in terms of where his future is and, and what you're seeing in terms of usage from him this year. Yeah, after an 0-5 start, we at this point think that the question of whether or not Andy Dalton will be in Cincinnati next year or for the long-term future at least is is answered. Joe and I are both in evaluation mode. We're not really evaluating Dalton at this point. We, we know what Dalton is, and uh, I think there was a great piece on the ringer a week or so ago that used Andy Dalton as a barometer. They called Andy Dalton the best barometer for your football team. Like, how good is the rest of your team? Put Andy Dalton at quarterback, you'll know how good the rest of your team is. <laughs> and 
right now the rest of the Bengals just isn't isn't great. I mean, Dalton's still the same player I think that he has been. He's still going to be generally pretty solid pre-snap. He's going to get you into the right play, at least according to the numbers, more often than not. And when I say according to the numbers, of course, I mean if you've got you know, two guys over three guys on the right side of the line, he'll call a run over that way. If you've got six men in the box where you go base against nickel, he's going to call the appropriate play in terms of, of getting the ball where it should be going. But I found that while well, last year I thought early in the season that four and one start for the Bengals, Dalton took a step and did something that we hadn't really seen from him before, being that he was making some plays off script. He was keeping his eyes downfield when pressure got there. I'm not seeing that this year. Mm. And that could be a product of the weapons not being there. A.J. Green hasn't played yet. He came back to practice on a limited basis today, but you'll be lucky to miss him this week. I know Baltimore fans probably breathing a sigh of relief about that one. Always. John Ross, yeah, right. And, And John Ross, who actually showed some promise this year, especially as a deep threat, in that kind of Will Fuller mold, stretching the field. You can see corners around the league, no matter who is playing the Bengals, respecting that speed, giving him cushion. Those two guys are gone right now. So you're asking Tyler Boyd to be your your 1A, and that's really it. Because they're not using these running backs in the passing game as much as we thought they would be. Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard both had the capability of being really good pass-catching running backs. But... Without A.J. Green and without John Ross out there, I feel like the creativity has not been quite where I want it to be with Zach Taylor lately. And he's having some growing pains as a first-time play caller, uh, second-time play caller. I guess he put, called some plays for a short period of time with the Dolphins when he was there. But they're just general growing pains. They didn't have the roster term where they could get their guys in there. And I strayed quite a bit from your question about Andy Dalton. But I think... <laughs> It's if okay. you've watched the Bengals play the Ravens the last five years, he's the same guy, and you know that he often is going to go as as his weapons do. Talking about tight ends, Tyler Eifert, he has been relatively healthy this year. Does not look like the same guy he was before that ankle injury, that ankle dislocation in Atlanta last year. So we had some hope for Tyler Eifert. You know, he's one of my favorite talents when he's healthy and when he's been out there he makes plays that you don't see other guys make and had a really good rapport with Dalton but that hasn't been there so much this year and you know Dalton's still going to be a guy who generally is going to know what your coverage is he's going to put the ball where it should be and occasionally he'll make a mistake but with the weapons being what they are the passing offense just especially with Ross out hasn't been a very big threat how good has Dalton been about avoiding the panic with larger men in his face this year? Not great. Uh, the offensive line is worse somehow. Somehow it's worse, right? So we'll talk about the offensive line, I assume. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, talk about shortly. it now. We'll just get into it, sure. So coming into the year, we thought it would be Jonah Williams at left tackle. We thought it would be Clinton Bowling or Cordy Glenn at left guard. And we thought it would be Billy Price at center. And, you know, maybe Clinton Bowling's a right tackle. John Miller, they signed from Buffalo to be the right guard. He's been really up and down this year. He had a great game against Buffalo, maybe a bit of a revenge game, and then terrible against Pittsburgh, terrible last week against uh, 
against Arizona, but the whole offensive line this year is just laughably bad. Last in 2017, Dalton set a record for like the most times he's been sacked in the first four games. It was 17 or something, and then this year it's 19 through the first four games. Against Arizona, he was only sacked once. The pass protection actually held up okay, but the offensive line has has not been good to the point where they're now looking at Alex Redmond, who was a mediocre, I'd say a best right guard for them last year, had a lot of issues with penalties, was suspended for PEDs, came off his suspension this week. He's our swing tackle this week. Mm-hmm. Andre Smith, who has been a right tackle his whole career, has been playing left tackle for the Bengals this year and well into his 30s has an ankle injury. He hasn't practiced this week. So it's John Jerry, the career guard who took a year off of football last year. I don't think on purpose signed signed with the Bengals because he goes back to Jim Turner in Miami with bully gate. He was one of the bullies, Jim Turner, really good group of guys in that offensive line room. <laughs> and so we're looking at, at John Jerry starting at left tackle this week. And then Alex Redman is the only other guy they feel like they have to play tackle. So the other guy might have been Mike Jordan, the left guard who's now been unseated from his starter job by Billy Price, who lost his starting job at center to Trey Hopkins, who's actually been really good. The one mm-hmm. bright spot on the offensive line, Trey Hopkins, uh, undrafted guy out of Texas a few years ago, had some injury issues early in his career, but finally is getting those consistent starts. Also a really good guy. I talked to him on our show a few weeks ago and it was quite interesting. Okay, so two players I want to ask about out of this group. The first is Andre Smith. Now, this is the same Andre Smith who we saw in Hard Knocks. And I have to think about that, but that was 10 years ago now, wasn't it? 10 years ago. At Number least. one draft pick, yeah. six overall. Yeah. Okay, and he came in with the guy, the, I think his agent showed up in a limo or something to try and sign his contract for him. I remember that part of the of the negotiations being Fairly good with the Browns being who they are. I'm sure that went over really well. Running uh, the 40 without a shirt on. <laughs> that that Andre Smith. Yep, that's the yep, one. That Andre Smith. So, uh, so he's playing left tackle now. And obviously he, he, somebody who's had an unspectacular career, I'm going to say, as a right tackle. Not, not always terrible, but unspectacular. Fair sure. enough. He never lived up to a sixth overall draft pick status. He had a couple of years that were good. But okay. – the career on the whole, yeah, but he's not—he's not, he's not going to play this week. He's got okay. an ankle injury. Oh wow, that's that's another loss. Um, and Billy Price is the other guy because he was drafted 21st overall last year, and he—he he, last year he was injured. He missed a lot of time, right? And this year, is he injured or is he just sitting? He was injured in in early training camp. He had plantar fasciitis. I went down to Paul Brown Stadium, uh, and I talked to Billy when I was there, and he said that. You know, he he was acclimating. I, I don't think Jim Turner likes him very much. Um, he he straight up lost the center job to Trey Hopkins, who was just better in the preseason. He's been really good, like I said. Um, and then he, he got the start when Michael Jordan, their fourth-round pick from Ohio State this year, couldn't go against the Steelers. And then he lost the job as soon as Mike Jordan got healthy again. So Mike Jordan came out, had two really bad games. Sorry, against Buffalo is when Billy Price started. And then Mike Jordan's had two really bad games since then. So now Price is back at left guard, and we'll see if he can carve out a job for himself there. All right. 
All right. So uh, that does sound like a whole lot of whole lot of moving parts and a whole lot of problems there on the line. Uh, they're they're at left tackle number four, left guard. <laughs> if you count Clint Bowling, I would say they're at number three. And and they're already starting somebody who should be a backup at right tackle and right guard. So that's the state of the offensive line. Use two different centers too. So Trey Hawkins has been the only center this year. Okay. So so Price's play has come somewhere else. He's only played at left guard. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, very good. I I will say this: the Ravens have not taken advantage of bad offensive lines this year, and they faced a couple. Yeah, so. I, I've, I noticed that, and we talked about that on our show today. The Ravens, this is not, you know, your dad's Ravens or whatever. Right. This is a very different Ravens team from the last 15 years where I'm not as afraid of the pass rushers of the defensive line, although the, the big guys are still pretty good. The mm-hmm. linebackers look pretty bad. You're dinged up in the secondary. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the Bengals have played some bad defenses the last few weeks so, and haven't been able to score. So I, I don't know that I feel that differently this week. Right. Okay. Well, I think the Ravens' strength is at corner, so that'll be an interesting matchup with uh, with what weapons the the uh, the Bengals have at wide receiver. And of course, I think the Bengals. Everybody's been able to run on the Ravens the last three weeks, so that could be a problem again for the for the Ravens here because you guys have quality backs. Whether or not mm-hmm. uh, the line will have to produce some holes, but they've they've frankly been beaten by some meh offensive lines the last couple of weeks. So it'll be it'll be interesting to me to see how the Ravens come out and and defend the Bengals run because the Bengals finally got the run game going last week against Arizona because Arizona was the first team they faced that didn't come out in that Patriots blueprint or whoever started that trend mm-hmm. of the flat six men with the middle linebackers standing in the middle of the field. First thing they saw that didn't do that, they were actually able to get the run game going. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what attack what plan of attack the Ravens have. That, that will be interesting to see. I mean, they've had such a problem with linebackers biting that we did a special short pod here on Film Study that was, could the Ravens be more effective going to the three-three-five nickel? And I just don't think they can trust their linebackers to do that. Um, and, you know, since they're a three-four base team, they, they would it would be a special twist for them to put six men on the line of scrimmage. That's more of something a four-three team can do with two outside linebackers, right? I would think so, but you know, it probably just involves taking one of their middle guys and putting them out there, putting them in a different spot. But yeah, I, I suppose that does uh, make it a bit more challenging. But you have to assume that the personnel can't be that different, right? Maybe that means they're they're adding another, you know, they're putting putting one of the outside guys' hands on the ground and mm-hmm. or or just shifting his alignment a little bit. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, regardless. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, they do some of that in the pass rush game, but I, I would not expect it against the run. They really have only a couple of base alignments. But anyway, we'll move on. For the for the run game, do they really prefer to run out of 11 personnel, or do they like to go with a heavier set with a 12 or 21? They're 83% 11 personnel this year, I think. Yeah. So fairly telling. Vast, vast majority of the time they're in 11. They, they try to do what the Rams tried to do last year, where – they're going to give you the same pre-snap look as much as they can and run as many different plays out of the same look, try to set up different stuff out of the same motions, the same alignments. Um, so it's probably going to be mostly out of 11, but they did go heavy a few times against Arizona and it didn't work. Uh, they don't have 
the personnel to run against the heavy box. And so I hope that they've learned that lesson. Uh, they, they have tried some weird stuff in short down and distance situations. I don't know if you saw any of the, the game last week, but they tried a read option on a fourth and one with Andy Dalton. And after they, and it was more of a, more of a play action draw kind of play. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, it ends up with Mixon as a lead blocker and Andy Dalton running out of the shotgun on a fourth and one. It was a straight head run and uh, yeah. with a, with a, okay. Wow. And it's just like, it never looked like it was going to work. And, uh, th- they got to burn that one, I think. But, um, so, but, but generally speaking, it's going to be out of three wide receivers. That's what you're going to see for a vast majority of the game. Okay. Very good. Very good. Yeah, aside from Boyd, who's, who is healthy for their two and three guys. So you've got uh, some undrafted guys, undrafted rookies, Damian Willis out of Troy, who is really impressive in the preseason and in camp. He beat William Jackson repeatedly mm-hmm. in camp. Uh, Jackson's been solid this year, but and and we we of course thought he would be a star a couple of years ago when he had those great games against Antonio Brown, but Willis is one, not a whole lot of speed threat, possession guy. And that's the theme for this group. So the other guy on the outside is going to probably be Auden Tate. Auden Tate, you probably, you might remember him from Florida State. Giant guy, really strong hands, but has weirdly had drop issues. He's He'll make really hard catches where he'll clamp a ball and, you know, the defender's hand will be on the ball and he'll just hold it with his hands. Really good hands catcher sometimes. And then other times it'll, it'll just bounce off his hands. So... <laughs> Um, you know, he, he dropped a slant last week going into the end zone that could have been a touchdown, but he caught an out route with a defender draped all over him and it was just a hands catch. Mm-hmm. And so uh, part of me thinks that's a, an experience, a repetition issue. He was a seventh round pick last year. So those are a couple guys. Alex Erickson, uh, had a concussion last week, but he was a full participant in practice today. So he must be cleared from the protocol. It'll probably actually be him and Tate outside, but you'll see a rotation. And the other guy is Stanley Morgan Jr. from Nebraska, undrafted guy who many draft people actually that I talked to had in like the fourth, fifth round of the draft last year, ended up going undrafted, didn't make the team, uh, but was called up off the practice squad when they had to put John Ross on the IR. And he only got in the game last week after Erickson went out with a concussion. He had a drop, and then he didn't get back into the game. So that's the fifth guy, but I would expect to see mostly those first four. Okay, so it's two D, two UDFAs and a seven among the receiving core. And, and Tyler Boyd, who is great and really good undrafted free agents, but, yes, still undrafted okay. free agents. All right. Auden Tate, out of those guys, is the one that would scare me the most because of his size. Mm-hmm. He, he essentially is a tight end, and he weighs, you know, 220. But he's, you know, 6'7", 220, you know, 4'6", kind of speed. Not not a very fast guy. Isn't going to have great separation, but plays like a tight end in terms of ball skills, height, that sort of thing. Hmm. Okay, we'll look for that. Uh, let's get back to the defense for a little bit. Uh, what's their most common pass defense look? What are they trying to do in the secondary? Uh, they've been single high this year, so a lot of odd coverage is back there. And I think that's been to Jesse Bates's detriment 
Uh, Jesse Bates had a great rookie year as mostly an even coverage guy back there. They were doing two safeties a lot of the time. This year they've transitioned to one deep and it's been okay. Uh, they've done some. They've done more inverted stuff this year than I remember in the past, which has led to, which led to against San Francisco a touchdown in a uh, kind of a. It looked like Bates just was in the wrong coverage the way it ended up because Marquise Goodwin ran a post, and it was actually the responsibility of the opposite field corner to get back and cover the post. It was an inverted cover too, and I just, I, I just. Great play call for the situation, I guess, for San Francisco. But they did correct that mistake a few weeks later. Um, so you will see some disguise coverages. You'll see some fire zone blitzes, like old school LeBeau stuff. And it generally has been terrible. It doesn't get run that often in the NFL anymore. And it, you know, it, it, the, the, the ball's coming out too fast. Quarterbacks just know what to look for. They've got those hot reads built in quite a bit. So... That's led to that. That's bit the Bengals in the butt a little bit. I think Lou Anaruma has been a little bit too exotic at times, and it's led to some execution issues. So, um, yeah, a lot of odd coverages on the back end, some weird rotating stuff, some inverted stuff. Um, but that's partially because the front four hasn't been quite as good as we thought they would, and part of that is because Carl Lawson's been hurt, and we'll see if he's back at full speed or not this week. But your offensive line looks just as good as the ones they've played. They've played some good ones this year, so it's going to be another tough test. Yeah, Lawson, certainly a, an A pass rusher. Exciting, exciting play. He's third year now or fourth year? Third year. Third year. Third okay. Year. Yeah. So, and Bates in his second year had a, had a fine rookie year, as I recall it. I know he had an interception against Baltimore early on in the season. I'm trying to think of, of – uh, what else he got? You know, the guy I confuse him with sometimes is the guy on the Titans who's really good. The other safety, third round last year, and I'm forgetting his name right now. And it's by Bayard. Bayard. By, yeah. 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 So that's that's the guy I sometimes confuse him with. Okay. Um, all right. Outstanding. Uh, so are they – strict nickel team do they play some dime do they play some quarter i know that one of the things i always talk about with with joe when he comes on or with other people is there was some talk that marvin lewis didn't like to put the dime on the field anymore when he lived and died with the diamond quarter with the ravens in fact played a ton of quarter defense seven defensive backs during 2000 and also in the in the first rookie Ray Lewis's rookie year as well i think we saw a quarter last week i think they okay. put four corners and three safeties on the field last week Huh. We've definitely seen dime, uh, but they're taking they're putting an extra safety on. So they're not running four corners out there. But when they go to dime, they're bringing a safety down into the box. So and three, a lot three of that, safety inside linebacker a dime. Yeah, and, and a lot of that is because they don't trust the linebackers. And if you do see quarter again, it's because the linebackers have been. I, I can't really overstate this. Just just <laughs> terrible. Um, and so that's when they're getting the extra defensive backs on the field. There, there are some interesting guys there. Clayton Fedulin has been a pretty interesting safety when he's been on the field. And Brandon Wilson, the other backup safety, has a lot of speed. Sean Williams, pretty good in the box. Solid player. Um, but they are truly, I think, a multiple defense, which was exciting for us in week one. You'll see them out there with uh, a 3-4 base, 
and they'll go to nickel and it'll look like, you know, nickel used to with the Bengals where they'll have four linemen, two, two linebackers or a linebacker and a safety. And it'll kind of be a big dime or, uh, they'll then, yeah, like I said, they occasionally go to the dime. Okay. All right. Very good. Now, it's something that I was kind of hoping to see given how bad the linebacker play in Baltimore has been this year, that they would go to the quarter too. Played eight snaps of it in 2018, but they haven't been to it yet in 2019. But mm-hmm. you're saying that you've already seen it some in Cincinnati where you had a fourth corner in replacing the second inside linebacker. It would have been, right? So yeah, you had no, no, yeah, four-man front and then no inside linebackers effectively. Right, no linebackers. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah they, they have the 3-4 the base is new for them. Um. That I think has been a necessity because of again the line. They only have four linebackers on the roster. I'm pretty outside sure. and inside, or just inside linebackers. You're talking. Uh, when I when I say linebacker, I mean off ball linebackers. So okay. not not the pass rushing breed. Yeah. All right. And speaking of the pass rush, the four man pass rush beating the Ravens straight up is what I remember about Bengals games and all the difficulty they've given the Ravens over the years. Is yeah. that still their DNA? Are they still trying to rush for play after play after play, or they've been doing different things? Like I said, they've been doing some of that fire blitz stuff, and you'll see a 330 pound Andrew Billings in the flat from time to time, and, <laughs> and I'll hate it every time they do it. But I think they do try to rush for when they can. And even when they're doing those zone blitzes, they're still rushing forward, but then they're just dropping big men into coverage. So you'll see a lot of similar, a similar approach in that sense. You're not going to see a ton more blitzing, probably a bit more blitzing than under Marvin Lewis. Now it's it's very clear you have tremendous football knowledge. I'm wondering what do you and Joe do a lot of play charting together, or, or do you do a lot of play charting that to support each other on this that you? defensive personnel on the field or pass rush information or things like that? Uh, at this point, it's kind of a, something I just notice. Uh, okay. I, we don't do any individual charting. I used to work for Pro Football Focus. I've done some charting for them. So that's where my experience comes from there. And Joe just watch, watches a lot more film than I do. So <laughs> that's where right. it comes from for him, I think. Um, but we do, you know, we'll, we'll keep notes during the game and we'll talk about things we see and, We'll go back through and and try to see things that you know we can't see from the TV angle on all 22. And uh, I didn't get a chance to do it against the Cardinals. Actually, I I've had a chance to rewatch the game on the TV angle, but wasn't able to see uh, the all 22. So I'm not entirely certain what they were doing in the secondary, but it was single high the whole game for sure. All right, fair enough. Uh, in terms of the Ravens' weapons, how do you expect them to try and keep a lid on them? I don't know. They have shown some willingness to shadow with William Jackson this year. They might try to do that with Marquise Brown. Um, I think Andrews and and Jackson scare me the most. I noticed that Brown and Andrews both are having issues getting on the practice field, but it sounds like that's been the case and they're playing anyway. Yeah, they've, they've both been kind of going through minor injury problems. And I think it might have re, might be plantar fasciitis for for um, Andrews as well. So uh, it's been it's been some sort of foot problem that does not appear to be anything more serious than that. So we'll see. I, I, one of the things I always want to look at with opponents is they have a good four-man pass rush for Cincinnati, or they certainly have for years. If that's the kind of thing that could get to Jackson, is it going to be play that, play a lot 
eyes on the ball, keep you know, stay in zone defense, and make it very difficult otherwise for Jackson's deception to play as big a role as it might. It'll be interesting to see what they do because they've played Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray already this year, and they those guys both can hurt you with their legs. They both did hurt the Bengals with their mm-hmm. legs, so I think the Bengals have done a pretty poor job of containing guys that have the ability to get the ball down and run. You saw Kyler Murray last week. He almost ran for 100 yards, 97 mm-hmm. yards, I think. So uh, he gashed the Bengals for a couple of really big plays at opportune times. So they're getting too deep in their pass lanes, and they don't have contained in the middle. They're not keeping guys in to spy. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it's rushed for, drop guys into zone. Um I, I am curious to see if they're going to shadow Marquise Brown at all with William Jackson just because he has a little bit better speed, recovery, really good ball skills on Jackson. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Mark Andrews usually would really scare me, but the Bengals have been weirdly good against tight ends this year, and they generally are terrible against tight ends. But that, I think, is because opposing teams haven't had to use tight ends as much because the running game has been so successful, getting horizontal, just stretching the field that way. And where you would take maybe those, those uh, you know, checkdowns to tight ends, those quick outs, those five, seven-yard plays, where you're kind of treating that as an extension of your running game, well, the running game just works just fine. So maybe they don't have to use the tight ends as much. But um, I, I think, you know, the Bengals kept George Kittle relatively in check in the passing game. He had a few plays. I expect that, that Andrews will have a few plays too. He looks like a really, really good player. So you just kind of expect that. And the linebackers aren't up to the task in coverage. And so usually I would be worried about the tight ends. It'll be interesting to see if the Ravens can get their running backs involved in the receiving game at all, though, because that is what has killed the Bengals more than anything else. And that's pretty much every opponent. So is that slow, slow reaction by running backs to the, to diagnose the play, to get to it, to get an old place, a low yak. All right. Sorry. Can you say that again? Is, is that a function of having linebackers who are slow to diagnose the play or, or get to the running back to get and, get and hold him to low yak? A little bit of both. The Bengals have had tackling issues for sure. I think that it's a different issue for the different linebackers on the field. Some of them are a little bit slower to process. Some of them are a little bit slower of foot. Others are just, you know, missed, like I mentioned earlier, misdirection has been killing the Bengals. So okay. you throw those counter plays out there, you throw that jet motion out there, you throw those options out there, and – the Bengals have had a hard time with it, and we'll see if they can adapt this week. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Well, let's just do this. I don't. We don't do score predictions, but pick one player that you think matches up well against the Ravens. Geno Atkins always seems to perform pretty well, but I'm not going to go with him this time because Lamar Jackson's really fast. And Geno, while he's still a really good player, starting to stiffen up a little bit as he's in his early 30s, has lost a little bit of foot speed, and he's all, he's always a big guy, right? So he's never been that fast, but... Uh, what matchup do I like? That's such a hard question because I don't feel very good about any of the matchups. I, I think if I have to pick a guy, it's going to be Tyler Boyd. He's the only one that's really stepping up right now, making plays on a regular basis. And he made a few deep plays last week too. So we'll see how that goes. The other one I would keep an eye on, and this is going to be largely dependent on the coaching staff and their creativity is Joe Mixon, because if they can get him involved a little bit in the passing game, I think with the way the Ravens linebackers have been playing this year, there's a chance to take advantage there a little bit. But 
the screen game has been poorly designed for the Bengals so far this year. So we'll have to see a departure from that. They tried a few angle routes earlier in the year. Andy Dalton's had a tough time getting passes batted down at the line of scrimmage. And that's something that I asked Trey Hopkins about when I talked to him a few weeks ago. And I think this particular group on the offensive line is so on their heels in pass blocking. They've had a hard time converting those kick steps and, and catching guys and pass blocking into driving those guys after when they start getting their hands up, they're having a hard sure. time converting that to power. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they can get anything going with the running backs in the passing game, because that's what I would do if I was Cincinnati okay. coming into this game. All right. Outstanding stuff, Jake. We appreciate you visiting us and, and taking the time. Uh, let's make sure we have all your information on your Twitter handle, where they can find your work. Any other plugs for your work you want to do? You can find me on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL, which I feel pretty fortunate to have snagged that handle for the next Jake who covers the NFL. Got it. But at Jake NFL on Twitter, I do a daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bengals with the estimable, estimable. I don't know how to say that word. Joe Goodberry. He's a good guy, really smart guy. So uh, especially around draft time, if you guys want to learn about Who's getting the draft? Come check us out then. If you're interested in the Bengals in general, we do a five-day-a-week podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. All right. Fantastic stuff. Very much appreciate you joining us, Jake. Thanks for taking the time. I know it's it's a it's a heavy podcast deal for for uh, the Bengals season. It's not going so great so far. I hope it, hope it gets a lot better after this week. I just want to have fun. So let me talk about Tua. You know, let me talk about Joe Burrow. Give me, give me a quarterback to talk about. Okay. Give me Lamar Jackson last year, man. Give me just this one one more question then. How do you feel about the Dolphins being who they are right now in a season where it looks like the Bengals could be otherwise in contention for the number one overall pick? And the Bengals play the Dolphins in week 16. So they can't catch a break. They play the Dolphins. They, play, they don't play Washington. So at least they get that. But they play uh, – no, they do – no, they don't play Washington. They play the NFC West this year. Who do they play? They play the Jets, maybe? Anyway, it's it's a bad year to be bad. Like, 0-5, yes. you usually feel great about, like, locking in that top three pick. Even, even like, first overall pick, you know, you can feel pretty good about. But the Dolphins are historically bad. You listen yes. to football outsiders, and the Bengals are half as bad as, as the Dolphins. And the Bengals seem quite bad. Well, the Bengals have been in games with some decent teams so far. That you know, obviously they weren't in the game against Pittsburgh, but they but they were in the game against Seattle, right? They were in the game against Seattle, but I think that a large part of that is that Seattle wasn't ready for what the Bengals showed them. Um, I don't think. I mean, that they were ready for the running game, but I don't think they were ready for anything else, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't think. Uh, and they were in it against Buffalo because Josh Allen is a. He's Josh Allen. He's going to put the ball in the opponent's team's hands. Um, and they somehow got in the game against Arizona, scoring two touchdowns in a two-minute uh, game time period of time late in the game. But the Cardinals aren't very good. So, um, yeah, the Bengals play some bad teams this year. The AFC North seems really bad to me this year. The, the Browns aren't as good as I thought they were. The Ravens don't seem as good as I thought they were based on the first three games of the year. Pittsburgh's on their third quarterback, and that defense is starting to pick it up, but they're 1-4, and four, so you can write their season off. The Bengals are 0-5, so in a year that I want the Bengals to be picking number one and, and just get the damn quarterback, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to do it. 
All right. Very good, Jake. Thanks for taking the extra time with us on this. And uh, I'd love to have you back again sometime. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.